Elbua Cafe is a small not-for-profit coffee shop located in Hidalgo Nuevo Leon, Mexico. It sits in view of the majestic El Potrero Chico, a world-renowned rock climbing destination. Since 2010, thousands of people have come through our doors to partake of our amazing coffee, great food, and to share in our community. Everyone has a story, and I get to share them here. I'm your host, Jan, and I present to you Tales from El Buo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2 of Tales from El Buo. Yes, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Nothing better than having for a season opener our manager of El Buo. Today's uh, guest is Schaefer Church. Hey, Schaefer. Hey, what's up, Jan? How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Uh, actually really cool weather outside and sipping on a cup of coffee. It's great. Yeah, sitting here in El Buo because, you know, we are tales from El Buo. So we got to do it here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is it. It's from the Buo. Yeah. It is. And today you will not be hearing the uh, grinder and espresso machine in the background and people talking because we are not open yet. Right. We are closed currently, but we're about to open. Yes. The staff are about to arrive and then we open. Things are about to get crazy around here. And for those of you who have been around El Buo for a while, I'm excited to tell you guys that we have the biggest staff we've ever had. That's right, which is really exciting and a little nerve-wracking at the same time. So, How many are we going to have, Schaefer? In total, including me, two of them are coming late. They're coming in December. But when they get here, we'll have nine, including me. Nine. So are we going to open more? Because we have more stuff? You know, I think we're going to try and push the bounds of what we do a little bit. We're going to try and do some new stuff and try and add some things, keep the coffee cart going in the canyon because we'll have the staff to do it, and try and do some more community-oriented stuff as well. So That's so exciting. I remember the days back 10 years ago when we only had two. Right. Yeah, yeah and so just to see it growing and actually being able to choose who comes. like Yeah. You know. Well, sadly enough, I had to turn people away because I was like, we're we're full. We don't have any more room for people to stay. And I kind of said to them, hey, if you wanted to if you want to come down and help out and, and camp and, and, you know, help us out, that'd be great. But we can't really bring you on as staff because we're full, which is a good problem to have. It was a bummer. but It is a good problem to have, especially during times of covid. For real. So what do you think is going to happen with the shop in the season this year? I think it'll be more people than last season. I was actually surprised how many people came last season. And I also, last season, was totally prepared to shut down for two weeks or a month due to some sort of COVID outbreak. But we never had to shut down. No one on the staff or no one near the staff ever got COVID. And so we were able to operate the entire season. So I think this season there'll be more people, but I still do think that it'll be less than normal. And it'll still people will still have to be precautious and still have to wear masks and still have to do some social distancing. But, I mean, ho- hopefully, hopefully we start going back towards some sort of normal. I don't think we'll ever go back to normal normal. But, you know, I'd like to hope that things will get better. But we'll see. We'll have to play it by ear. Now, Schaefer, this wasn't a planned question here. Sorry. But when, and actually, I don't usually play my questions for the listeners. I just throw things out. But, Schaefer, you've been in the States for the summer, and you came back to Mexico what a month ago yeah yeah what are your observations about covid protocol in the states versus here mexico i mean so it's interesting in the states the 
lots less people wearing masks, a lot less social distancing. Here, there's still a lot of masks, social distancing, hand sanitizer everywhere. Uh, and in the States, you know, it's the vaccine is readily available. I remember I was in a Walgreens and it was really quiet in the Walgreens and I was in line to buy something. I was, I was looking through the aisles to buy something and this lady walks up and she's from the pharmacy and she was like, would you like the COVID vaccine? Like, there's no wait and we have plenty. We're like literally looking for people to give this to. I was like, whoa, that's crazy that we're at a point where they're just like looking to give people the vaccine. Now being here back in Mexico, it's not as readily available to people. It's a little harder to get the vaccine. And so that's one thing I've noticed is how interesting it is in the States that, you know, if we want to get the vaccine, it's readily available. You can get it. And I, I got the vaccine. I'm vaccinated. But here, you know, people want it and they want people to get vaccinated. Most people, not everybody, obviously, but it's not readily available. So it's definitely very different. Yeah. COVID is still very much, I would say, an issue everywhere, but it's very obvious here. Yeah, I was wondering, I also visited the States for a couple of weeks, but uh, was wondering what your take was on that. And for somebody that's coming down or planning on coming down for this season, any recommendations for them as far as COVID goes? Yes, I would say, you know, to each their own and you can hold your own opinion. But I think traveling into another country, you are, yeah, you're traveling into their place and into their world. And so you want to make that as safe as possible. And so I would, I would say, I would encourage people to get vaccinated before they come and climb here. Yeah. Great advice. That'd be my, that'd be my advice. <laughs> well, thanks Schaefer. You're welcome. And I, you know, that's my side. <laughs> I'm not an expert in anything, so <laughs> you can take it or leave it. But Well, now we will talk about you. You're the expert about you. I'm pretty sure. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully I know myself well enough. Well, Schaefer, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I grew up in, well, I was born in Denver, Colorado, and then I still have a lot of family there, but I grew up in Farmington, New Mexico, which is south of Durango, Colorado, which is a pretty well-known town. Um, I've got two awesome parents, two great brothers. Um, yeah, they're all great. One of my brothers lives in Denver. The other one lives in North Carolina now, and then both my parents are still in New Mexico, uh, but yeah, I grew up in New Mexico, and then I went to uh, moved to Texas for college, and then I lived in Texas for a while because uh, I worked at a church there after I graduated. And then after I was done at that church, I moved to Hidalgo, Mexico, and I've been here. So, how did you get into climbing? First of all, oh, that's a great question. Actually, my first time climbing, really climbing, was in Boy Scouts. I was in Boy Scouts as a teenager, and we went to X Rock, which is a, a crag outside of Durango. And I remember I was like, oh, I really like this. This is super fun. So then I climbed for a while throughout like middle school, high school. And then I like broke some toes and got out of climbing for a while and just kind of moved on to other things. And then in college, they had a rock climbing class. And I was like, oh, hey, I remember I used to love rock climbing. So I took the rock climbing class. And then honestly, it wasn't until I, and I climbed throughout college a little bit, but it wasn't until after college that I really started like buying all the gear and going and going on rock climbing trips and camping and really embracing it and getting really into it. So it was really after college that I got into it. Yeah, that's, I guess that's how I got into climbing. But yeah, Boy Scouts was the original original thing. Schaefer, are you an Eagle Scout? I am an Eagle Scout. Wow. I Eagle Scout. And I, you know, I think a lot of people, when they see Boy Scouts at the crag, they're like, oh my gosh, Boy Scouts. And I react that way too. However, know this, that maybe some of those people will really love the sport and embrace it and 
So we should give the Boy Scouts a break because they might get really into it. But yeah, I am an Eagle Scout. That is true. Do you see Girl Scouts at the crack? Wait, do Girl Scouts exist anymore? Are Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts in existence I or just Scouts? Now they're Scouts, but I do think there's two separate organizations, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. I do think they're separate organizations. I don't think I've ever seen Girl Scouts at the crack. I know that in Enchanted Rock, which is the place to climb in Texas, I would always see Boy Scouts almost every time, but I don't think I've ever seen. But I'm sure there's Girl Scout troops out there getting after it. I mean, I hope so. I hope so, too. Right? <laughs> I mean, they could bring their Thin Mint cookies out there and sell them, too. Well, then we would we would love the Girl Scouts <laughs> <laughs> if they were bringing out their cookies and then giving, selling them to climbers. Yeah, that would be great. Or Samoas. I think I like Samoas better. But Oh, yeah? I guess Thin Mints are my favorite. I like the peanut butter ones, too, but I can't remember what they're called. Howdy Duties? Or Is that what they are? <laughs> no, I don't know. So I don't know. <laughs> Boys got sell popcorn, but it's not as well known or as oh, well yeah. as the cookies. You know, I've lived out of the States for 18 years, so I, I sometimes get surprised about like, I, that's why I was like, wait a minute, are there Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts? Because of the whole like. Yeah, now there's Scouts, yeah. Just Scouts. Yeah, they're the Scouts. But you had Boy Scouts. I was in Boy Scouts because that was before, before they changed the rules. But uh, yeah, and I was thankful I was in a really fun troop because I feel like some Boy Scout troops are not super active and some are super active and I was in a really active troop and so we got to do a lot of camping and first aid stuff and rock climbing and backpacking so it was cool that is really cool and I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness being with an eagle scout not at all <laughs> I mean hey it takes a lot to do that so good job thanks high Appreciate five it. you can put it on your resume it, I'm sure it is on my resume <laughs> I'm sure I'm it an is eagle scout. I'm an eagle scout so you went to college in Texas and if I remember yep. correctly you went to a Christian college yep what did you study? I went to a college called Howard Payne University, and I studi studied biblical studies, and I minored in English. So I just read and wrote a lot. Favorite author? <laughs> Other than God? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, favorite author? Probably, God, this is such a cliche, probably J.R.R. Tolkien, because I just love Lord of the Rings. So I was expecting favorite. that, but I... And that's, the, that's not surprising at all. I love Lord of the Rings. He's my, he's my favorite, yeah. If you ever come down to Hidalgo and you go to Trivia Night, make sure Schaefer's on your team and make sure there's a Tolkien or Lord of the Rings subject on Trivia. Right. You're, you're we won Trivia last year. The one time I won Trivia last year at La Posada, a camp that does Trivia here, is, is was Lord of the Rings was one of the categories. And me and a bunch of other guys teamed up and we all are big Lord of the Rings fans. And so we, that was the one time that we won. But you've read the whole series right yeah i've read the series this is kind of one of my fun facts i tell people i don't know how many times i've read the series actually i've lost count but it's either five or six so I've, when i say i've lost count it's not like in the hundreds but five or six times i've read all three and then i've read the Silmarillion once I, I can only say i've read it once and then i've read the hobbit i don't know how many times as well and then of course we know those of us from the, well, the movies are we watch them all the time yeah i think I get no greater joy in life than showing someone who's never seen Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings. Like, it's just the best. Didn't like you take some of our Mexican staff and show it to them last yeah. year? Yeah, Vero. Or, yeah, Vero. And then also Marcella, who lives here in Hidalgo. I showed them Lord of the Rings. Yeah, for sure. What did they think? I think Marcella actually really liked it. One of them really, really enjoyed it. And then I think Vero kind of thought it was boring, which I get it. I get it. It's boring. 
Well, I think that it's a little confusing to me, to be honest, because there's so many storylines to be following at one time. There's a lot going on. And the elves look like, they all kind of look alike to each, to me, and I get I get a little confused. Uh, I'll be honest. It's okay. <laughs> this, this is the place for honesty. Okay. I mean, yeah. I like it. I'm entertained by it. Oh, yeah. I think that you probably go a lot deeper than I do. Probably. And I'm also just like, I, I just love movies in general and love diving into movies and trying to kind of dissect them. And so Lord of the Rings is perfect because there's hours and hours of footage, and it's all movie gold. So I just love it. Yeah. That's really cool. I, so if anybody come into the shop, you know, you want to watch Lord of the Rings or talk Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, you got Schaefer here. I'm here. I'm ready for it. And if he's not here, ask for him. He's not far away. <laughs> yeah. But not here. I'm surely close by. Because yeah, <laughs> during point. the season, Schaefer is our manager. And uh, this is his second season being the manager. He was here one year as a volunteer barista yep. staff. Schaefer, how did you find out about El Buo? Yeah, actually, so I was actually on a different trip. I was in a brief trip. I was in Greece working at a refugee camp briefly, and there was another girl who was uh, a part of that organization, and we were getting to know each other, and I said that I love doing, like, ministry, mission work, and I love coffee, and I love rock climbing, and she was like, have you heard of El Buo Cafe in Mexico? And I was like, what's that? She was like, it's this, like, ministry coffee shop that's located in Pachero Chico. And I was like, that's not real. <laughs> and then, <laughs> sure enough, she sent me a link to it. And uh, I was like, oh, this is real. And then I came and climbed here with some friends for a week in December. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I really like this. And so then the doors just kept opening. And I was like, all right, I'm going down. And then when I actually decided to come down, I messaged that girl on Facebook. And I was like, hey, when you introduce that to me, I'm actually going to the Buo now to work there. Has she ever been here? I can't remember. She knew about it, though. She was like, oh, yeah, this is something I know about. So maybe she had been here. I think she's from Mexico originally. Oh, interesting. I don't. She has relatives here. I don't know. I don't know her. Do I? Her name is Joy. I can't remember her, her last name. Joy Brown? I think maybe so. Huh. Are we making this connection right now? <laughs> well, I have a friend on Facebook, Joy Brown. That might be her. I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to pull it And up. I think there's some ties to Mexico there. Yeah. But I know. Now we have to look her up. Joy, up. thank you for sending Schaefer our way, you making a random comment here in, well, while you were in Greece. That is so cool. I love the way that people find the Buo. And for those of you who don't know. Joy Brown. Yeah. Is that her? Yeah, I think so. We the, should be mutual friends, at least on Facebook. But, um Anyway, we'll, we'll check into that later, yeah, but that's, we'll, we'll try TBD. to figure that right, out. Next yeah. week. Oh, no, <laughs> I know. Sorry, guys, for that little. Now we're like making this connection. Rabbit you know? trail. But yeah. um, we, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Buo staff are all volunteers and they raise money to live here and they pay their rent and they pay for their own food. The Buo doesn't pay them a thing because we are a nonprofit and all our money goes to... Uh, school in a town called Mission, which is two towns away. And so there was not a middle school there. And then we worked with um, a local church to build a school there. And the money from the Buo has gone toward the building the school. And now that the school is built and operating, which is really exciting, the money goes to helping the school operate and function. And the school was really built by climbers. It really was. Yeah. Uh, somewhere on our Facebook page, there's an album of like old pictures of climbers digging you know trenches and stuff like that so cool. 
Yeah, it has been a really amazing thing to see the last 10 years bring climbers over there. Yeah, and Jan has seen the whole the whole thing from no school at all to just the idea of like, oh, we should try to build a school in this town to now the school's open and now Jan helps out at the school. Yeah, I'm an English teacher there. That's it's so cool. It's so cool. And every time I walk in, I just think, wow, this place used to just be a piece of land. That's wild. That's and, so cool. And all the love and sweat and tears and everything that's been poured into that place. Yeah. And I love being able to combine the tra- adventure, travel, rock climbing thing, whatever, like with helping the community out. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And last year, even during COVID, we were able to make enough money to pay the salary of the principal 100%. Right. Which isn't a lot because we're in Mexico. It's not a lot of money. But, uh, and this year we will, we are also going to be able to continue and you know eventually the school will be able to be on its own two feet but that's going to be a while it's not a sprint this is a long marathon right we're in it we are in it we are in it so last year i remember we were like we might not make enough to help the school out we just need to keep the buo doors open but then it was fine it all worked out yeah not only fine we did great last year yeah i was like surprised yeah yeah and you know we'll be expanding hopefully this year some online coffee sales t-shirt sales yeah buffs we have new buffs we have buffs thanks to jan jan helped us get or solo basically got the buffs which was cool yeah thanks to some pe- great people in mexico city yeah. and we're doing some rebranding we're gonna have a new logo coming out thanks to taylor penson woohoo taylor awesome yeah so we have a lot of cool things going on and um now you kind of you guys listening can get a feel for the bull and what we're about if you didn't know every cup of coffee is sowing a seed in mexico with some kids and that's really right. exciting People don't know always know that. Yeah, we need to we need to get the word out. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, I think the word is out that we're a bunch of Christians. Right. Um, but I think I have you ever heard comments from people about that? I have. Like we're you right. know making a difference in the community, not just you walk in the door and we're gonna. Oh yeah, no, I think beat you over the head. No, I th- I think that uh, the the model that Jesus left us was to to serve and love and to take care of people, and so loving and serving people is the the first priority here. And yes, we do want to have conversations about Jesus because that's what we're all about. But before that, you know, is is loving people with the type of love Jesus has is the goal, and so that looks like loving the community, and then also how can we love and serve the climbers that are coming internationally, and that looks like. That might look like just making the best cup of coffee we can make in that moment, but that also might look like a bunch of different things, right? Yeah. Yeah, really. And Schaefer has a degree in biblical studies, and you were actually a youth pastor. I was. For a little while. And what do you see yourself doing in 20 years? Oh, I have no idea. That's a great, <laughs> great question. A part of me would love to go back to school and learn more. Uh, another part of me would love to go um, work with some sort of NGO or non-for-profit that helps with refugees. That's something I really am uh, super passionate about. But for right now, the foreseeable future, I, I love the Buo and I love the mission. So I'm happy to be here. That's where I'm going to be in 20 years. I'm going to be right here, sitting at a well, Buo Cafe. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I'll be a really old lady in 20 years. But uh, no, yeah, yeah. You'll be, you'll be 45 in 20 years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> I've been here 15 years, guys. So like. And it's gone and by in a blink of an eye. 
that's wild. In a lot of ways. But then sometimes it seems like an eternity as well. Schaefer, you mentioned Greece and working with refugees. I would love to hear, you you once told me they were Afghan refugees. So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear like your thoughts about, first of all, what did you do? And then Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. So there were, it's a a refugee camp on uh, an island in Greece called Lesbos. And the the name is Moria is the name of the, the refugee camp. Yeah, uh, refugees come from all over the Middle East and Africa to this one spot because it kind of is one of the first places of Europe that you can get to. So, yeah, refugees from all over. I worked with a a NGO called Euro Relief, and they were in charge of – this NGO was in charge of clothes distribution, um, distributing the food uh, to the refugees, and then also in charge of – housing and that's kind of what I ended up doing was really almost just kind of being like if you know if you've been (laughs) if you've been to college uh, a resident an RA a resident advisor I think is what they're called Mm -hmm. I that's what I kind of felt like as I was like the RA and it was really hard at first because I was like the area of the camp that I was in was geared towards young men so it was all people my age and I felt like I had no business being any sort of like authority or any sort of rule person you know I had this vest and this walkie-talkie and I had like a job to do but I felt really it was really hard at first because I was like man these guys are all these guys have had way more of a crazy wild life experience than I've had and I've got really no right to even be here but then as my time went on there I realized okay no there's a reason for the role that I'm in and the guys there were just so accepting and inviting and super helpful and they they you know some of them I mean it's just insane how terrible it is and how difficult and challenging like the plight of a refugee really is and so you know none of them want to be there none of them uh, but they're there and so but so many of them have a, and a, just an amazing attitude of you know they're there so they're gonna make the most of it and they're gonna choose to be joyful um, I was there during Ramadan, so they were all fasting during the day, and so then it's even more impressive their good attitudes <laughs> and their their kindness. And but and and I specifically remember I know right right now everything going on in Afghanistan. I really remember though like some of the nicest, most kind people were uh, from Afghanistan. Specifically, there was this group of about four of them, and they would cook for us. And uh, even though we were, you know, the ge- we were the guests, you know, essentially, so they would cook. And they would break fast with us at night. And uh, that was the spiciest food I ever had, actually, was some Afghan food. Uh, that, like, I, literally, I, I try to eat anything someone puts in front of me. But that was one time I, I literally, my face was red. I was sweating. <laughs> my eyes were on fire. I, like, I could not get through it. I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I, have, to, I have to stop. Like, I couldn't do it. You yeah. broke the number one rule of missionaries. I know. I couldn't eat the food. But, and I felt bad, but <laughs> I also didn't feel bad because I was in pain. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Afghanistan, you know, with everything that's going on or has gone on there over the last month, I imagine the refugee camps are overrun now. Do you know anything about that? I mean, all I know is, yes, I know in the refugee camp that I was in, I mean, I don't even know if it's there anymore. I think it got so packed that they had to disperse most of the people who were there. I mean, it's just such a giant problem. And, you know, I think we should the entire world should be trying to help and and I, I don't know anything about 
politics or I don't really know much about how we can actually make a difference in other countries, but I do know that I that one thing we can do to help would be to accept the people that are fleeing. Because the refugees, like, you know, they don't want to be on the run. It's it's between death or being forced to join these things like the Taliban or ISIS. So it's like you either die or you go kill people. And that's their choice. And so then option number three, I guess, is to, to run. And it's a terrible option. Refugee camps are, they're like prisons in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. it's just awful. Just awful. Yeah. So... I think the goal would be to let to let people who are seeking asylum get asylum and then try to help them um, transition into whatever country they go to. Right. Do you remember any specific story of a refugee while, from when you were there? I remember one this one um, area of the refugee camp got a ping pong table. And so they brought the ping pong table to me and they were like, hey, set up this ping pong table. And so I started setting it up. But then this other guy started helping me out and we built the ping pong table together. And I just remember him having the most upbeat. He was from Syria. Uh, he, he had the most upbeat, like joyful attitude about the whole thing. And so then afterwards, I started we after we built the ping pong table, you know, we started chatting. Then we played ping pong for a little bit. <laughs> and then we started chatting and Every story of a refugee is just heartbreaking, but I remember his story was was really was really rough. And that week, he had been on the phone with his mother, who he, assuming at this point, you know, he's making the assumption he's never going to see his family again. And he was talking to his mother, and that he could hear bombs and gunfire in the background, and uh. then the phone went silent, and he hadn't heard from her since. It's been like days at that point. And I'm talking to him, and I'm just like. Just, you know, that I will never have the categories in my mind to relate to that. You know, I can use empathy as much as possible, but I will never be able to sympathize with that. But just that choice to then help me build a ping pong table when no one asks him, you know, in the midst of that. You know, it's it's a little thing, but ugh, like it's just incredible the the patience and the um the grit and the perseverance that, that all those guys had. Um, and I remember there was, there was, you know, there's a lot of different countries in one refugee camp right. and they're all, they're all just living together and, um, they're cooped up. The food is not good. It's not very clean in general. And, and it's not their fault, but you know, so obviously some of these countries don't like each other. And so there was one riot while I was there, but the people who calmed it down wasn't the police. It wasn't the military. It was these guys primarily from Afghanistan who were leaders in the camp. They're refugees themselves. But when they stepped out and started calming it, like to get to, to break it down, that's when it calmed down. Uh, and that's when everybody started to like, okay, we, we can calm down now. Is it was the, and I was like, man, it's cool that these guys in the midst of everything are choosing to to, to make the most of what to make the most of their situation and to help out where they are. So, yeah, I mean, everything going on in Afghanistan is definitely very heartbreaking. Yeah. Sometimes I think that when we see the news and we look around at the world, we generalize so much that we forget the individuals in in the story, right? In all the stories. Yeah. And I know that last summer, not this summer, but summer COVID summer, right? Twenty twenty, that you were in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, you got COVID, I did. and then s- you were stirred up about the Black Lives Matter right. oh, yeah. thing. And it doesn't take much to stir me up. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but but yeah. when I say stirred up, you're not angry. Right. It's like you're moved. Yeah, yeah. And that's different, you know. And how? Or first of all, what happened? Like, what what caused you to be stirred up in that? Do you yeah. think? Oh man, it was kind of a long process, but I'm I'm blanking on his name, which is really sad. But Ahmad, um, the gentleman who who was shot for run, he was on a run and he yeah, got he was shot. jogging. Uh, I was in uh, Oklahoma visiting my brother who lived there at the time, and I went for a run right when all this was happening. And it's a neighborhood I've never been in before, and it's, um, you know, yeah, I, a place I've never been to before. I'm a visitor. No one knows me. I don't know anybody. I go for this two-mile jog, and I get back to the house, and I remember thinking, you know, at no point in that whole run was I ever afraid that someone might – think I'm there for the wrong reasons or someone might look at me weird or someone might harm me or something like that and I remember thinking that's to be somewhere you've never been before and to go run and have zero fear that's privilege and a part of that a big part of that is is my ethnicity I'm white for those of you who don't know me uh (laughs) and so I was like oh man that's a big part of it and so I posted on Facebook like that that I went for a run had zero fear that's some sort of privilege. And I think that was kind of the, the beginning point. Also at the time uh, I was dating, I was dating a girl who's also a missionary in Mexico, Maya, and her family, uh, they're all half African-American. So their dad is white and their mom's black. And so they were just kind of at the center of that in the city of Omaha, her family. And so I think that also just kind of gave me a, a somewhat for me, a unique look into what was going on. And so it just kind of broke just, slowly broke my heart and and it was tough I mean I remember yeah it was just something that moved me and I could just clearly see the injustice and see the um, the hurt and so yeah I definitely got in some Facebook debates I hate to say it because I I hate to be that guy but I definitely got some (laughs) Facebook debates yeah it was definitely a wild time yeah yeah I I think that a lot of us are afraid to a lot of us I mean humans are afraid to maybe go deeper into an individual the individual level because we know that it's going to challenge our beliefs and another thing I'm going to talk about because well why not not? uh (laughs) is immigration because you yeah I mean why not Schaefer now you're here refugees black lives matter (laughs) that's right Afghanistan um now we're here and you're here in Mexico and you're seeing a different side I mean you grew up in New Mexico so new Mexico new Mexico um not as opposed to old Old Mexico Mexico. and I have to make that clarification for people I know (laughs) but I think I know that my view about immigration right. uh, I'm so conflicted about right. a lot of areas about it it's not black and white yeah. because I know individuals now you know a right, lot of individuals right. so how has that been impacted with you being here I mean you grew up in New Mexico yes. where immigrant thing was an issue I'm sure yeah yeah I was in northern New Mexico but yes I well it's interesting because I actually went to Honduras this summer and then they have a, it's it, everywhere is unique right so the issue there is unique and it's different from the issue here um in northern Mexico but yeah you know I would say there's times where I think the word immigrant should almost be changed to refugee because there's times where I'm like they also are this individual could be in an instance where they feel like their life is threatened or they're in a really bad position and one of the ways to get away from that would be to flee to the United States go north or go to another country in general and so for, th- for instance like that, I'm like, we should absolutely be welcoming people and letting them in. To me, that is not a 
that's pretty black and white to me. Um, and then, but there's also, there's so, that's such a multifaceted issue. I know that um, different people have different opinions, but I do think we, I'm of the opinion, this is, I could be wrong, I could be very wrong, that the world was created to be a generous, it, ha it has enough. It has enough to go around. I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's enough to go around for everybody, and so I'm of the opinion that we should uh, welcome people to uh, the United States. Should welcome people and try to help people as much as possible, um, because there's enough to go around. But that's just me. Are you a socialist? I was about to say if uh, if uh, Alex is listening to this, he'll be very excited. But uh, I, I w <laughs> am I a socialist? I know I, I comrade would be I so happy. I definitely would say there's a lot of socialist ideas that I lean towards and would embrace. Yeah, maybe not all of them. Sure. Yeah. Well, I don't think any of us can ever fully jump into any political party definitely or not. whatever. Yeah. I'm pretty middle of the road when it comes to politics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for some Christians, you'd be way too liberal, and for oh, other yeah. Christians, you're way too conservative. Probably. That's, yeah, I have no home in that front because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm either I'm either too hardcore on either end. Yeah. For everybody, I feel like that's so funny. I think what's interesting here at the Buo, you know, we've got our Christian staff, ma majority staff Christians, and then a lot of um, the majority of our clients and customers and friends are non-churched right. people. Uh, but I also I think they would agree that they don't like they might be too conservative for their family or too rep too yeah. liberal for other parts of their family. I shouldn't yeah, I label it to just now, Christians. There's just so such a tension right now. You know you. No matter where, what camp you're in, you know, sometimes, I mean, yeah, sometimes people are surrounded by a bubble and they're surrounded by people who think and act kind of exactly like them. But, you know, I think for the most part, we all have those people we know that totally disagree with us and think we're insane for thinking how we think. And I would say I'm around people pretty consistently that either think I'm crazy for one thing or another. They, <laughs> whether it's whether it's my liberal politics or whether it's I think this guy from... Jerusalem, you know, or from Israel came back from the dead 2,000 years ago. People think I'm crazy one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're all crazy probably. Right. <laughs> probably, yeah. probably so in some circle. I'm sure we're all wrong. Yes. And right about something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and boy, wait till you see yourself in 20 years, how you've changed. Yeah. Because you've changed in the last four years, I yeah, imagine. I was about to say, if I look like rewind five years, I feel like I've changed a lot. But I'm sure that's everybody. Yeah. So one thing that I, I'm going to do a little segue here, change up, change it up a little, but this still goes along with it, is a while back, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned that you didn't have the mindset or the scheme to like imagine the suffering of a refugee and what he mm. had been through. And I think, you know, I can be right in saying that you grew up pretty comfortable in your right, life totally. and everything. And you get here and your first season here was... There was a lot of difficulty. It was not a walk in the park. Yeah. It was not a walk in the park at all <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. A lot went on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that the staff that was here was here for that, you know, mm. because I think everybody was mature enough to handle it. But I also think that everybody was challenged. No, in yeah, the no way. Yeah, we were all challenged. Yeah. And one thing that you uh, remember that this was a real challenging time for you was the uh, accident with Brad Gobright right. and that you are part of the rescue team here at Potrero Chico and uh, you had to participate in the body recovery mm -hmm. of that. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that affected you, 
you know, yeah. I, and I want to be very respectful to Brad Gilbright and oh, his family and say, I'm sorry for your loss and his friends. Uh, first of all, that's terrible. And right. we all felt that. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. And just so tragic. Um, but yeah, I, it was definitely a surreal experience because throughout the season we had rescue team practices where we worked together um, to learn new skills and practice what we do in case of emergencies. And then this was, that was our second, second or third time called out um, to go do something. And yeah, it was, it was surreal because throughout the entire experience, throughout the entire thing, we, you know, there was kind of this mystery in the beginning of, we didn't know if we didn't know who the climbers were that had been, um, at the time, we didn't know what had happened. We didn't know if they were injured or we didn't know if they were totally okay. We didn't know if they died. Um, and so the, the, the mystery, the, and just not knowing what was going on was, was really intense. And from the beginning, though, there was, a, there was this like, okay, this is heavy because we think this guy has died. Um, and then that guy turned out to be Brad Gobright. And it, what was strange is after, uh, it, was in, it was the day before Thanksgiving, and then we that's when we helped get his partner down and located the body, got the partner down. And then the next day we had to go up the next morning we had to go up because it was too late at night. We couldn't see. So uh, the authorities here said, Hey, we're just going to come up the next day uh, for the body recovery. So we came down and then the next morning went back up, but it was weird because by the time I got back to my apartment here in Hidalgo, I opened up my phone to Facebook and there was a, there was an article, I think by um, rock and ice, there was an article saying Brad Gobert's died in an accident in Mexico and had very uh, clear details on what had happened. But it was weird because I had, you know, I was like, how do they know this? Like, like you I guys didn't even know. I was like, I was there like, yeah, like I've, you know, I don't even know some of the things said in the article. And I was just up there like five minutes ago, you know, and so it was weird to, to process it and then to see, you know, these famous climbers that I follow on Instagram and Facebook, like Alex Honnold and those guys to, to be posting about it. And then to see an article, I think Washington post or New York times did an article. So it was just kind of surreal because it was like, this is just bonkers that, that this is everywhere. And it was so tragic and so sad. Yeah. And then the next morning, a group of us went up to, to help with the recovery. And, um, I'd actually met Brad three or four days prior he was rock climbing and I was out rock climbing and met with him and talked with him. And I don't know Brad very well, but he, he see, from my brief encounter and from what I've heard from others, he was a really kind, really fun, really um, just rad dude. So it's definitely a loss. Um, and it's definitely a struggle to be a part of that, um, that experience. But in the end, like I came here to love and serve the locals and climbers. And if that's a way that I can do it, then if that's a way I can help out. Then glad to help out that impacted you though emotionally for a while yes <laughs> yeah. no no absolutely it definitely um i thankfully i have a, a really good close friend who's getting his master's in counseling and uh he i have talked through it a couple times with him just kind of breaking it down because i don't want anything like that to stick with to, to it's going to stick with me but I don't want anything like that to be something that I don't work through a process through so thankfully I've talked with him a couple times about it just to kind of process through it all um, but yeah it was definitely very impactful and definitely very yeah definitely very um, challenging experience and a very shocking experience mm -hmm. that I was I've been very aware okay this is stuck with me and these memories are are still here yeah 
buried in my body somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. The body keeps the score too. The body keeps the score. (laughs) Did you, did it make you afraid to climb? You know, it was interesting because I I took a week off from climbing, mainly because we were just busy at the Buo, actually. Um, But uh, when I went out to climb again, the first thing I did was go climb a pretty big multi-pitch here, Space Boys is the name of the route. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this is going to, I wonder if this is going to make an impact. Like, I wonder if I'll be afraid. And I, and I really wasn't, actually. It was, I was like, oh, hey, no, I can do this. It is strange, though, because I've, I've been in conversations where certain aspects uh, of the event get, get brought up, and, I, and, I can, and I, I'll have, like, a, my heart rate will go up, and I'll kind of start to, like, you know, my mind kind of starts racing, and I, like, realize, I'm like, oh, my, there's some trauma there. My body is kind of disassociating what's happening here with what was happening when, when that happened. Uh, so definitely stuck with me, but thankfully I've never noticed it in climbing. I've never thought, oh, this is, yeah, when I'm climbing or in any sort of serious situation, I found that I'm okay, which is a good thing, but it's when I'm just talking normally. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry oh, if no, I'm bringing this, this up and making your heart rate. Actually, I think it's good to talk about things like this. So, yeah. yeah, and then you told me that you saw him in Real Rock after his death. Yeah, so me and my roommate at the time, Seth, who also helped with the rescue, uh, we watched not the most recent Real Rock, but the one before it, and Brad Gobright was featured in one of the, the short films, and at the end, they, there was like a tribute to him, which I thought was really cool, um, and that, I remember thinking, I wonder if this is going to kind of trigger me, or I wonder if this is going to be weird or hard, but I actually just remember really enjoying it, and really loving to see um, the vibrant, funny, amazing climber brad and be like oh that's so cool even though i've never i don't really know this guy very well you know it was cool to watch the movie and i really enjoyed it so yeah i think you know you were there at one of the most intimate moments of his life which is his death you know and so uh thanks for honoring him you know and it was impactful yeah it was impactful and definitely brad is a guy that i would try to emulate in just being kind and having a good time and and just being brave and doing something you love so yeah Unfortunately, Schaefer also had to participate in a body recovery last year, but not a climbing accident. Yeah, it was a hike. It was a hiker uh, who didn't they didn't bring enough water, and she had a she was really really hydrated. Ended up having a stroke, and I remember with that being like, oh man, I wonder if I get up there, if I'm gonna have some sort of panic attack or something. And so I was like, I need to know if I get up there and I'm not doing well, I need to remove myself from the situation because at that point I'm no help to anybody. But I got up there and it was okay, but that was another super tragic accident. Yeah, and that's, hey, if you climb or if you hike, bring lots of water and take all the safety precautions, you know. Tie knots in your rope. Tie knots in the end of your rope, yep. Please. Actually, in all the deaths that I've known of since I've been here, it's been lack of a knot. Repelling is, yeah, that's where most of the accidents happen is on the descent. Yeah. Yeah. It's true mountaineering and climbing, yeah. Yeah, so we used to have a sign at, or we were going to put a sign at the exit of the Buo that said, it's still, check you your still knots. still kind of see it painted. Oh, yeah, it oh, said, yeah, check your down, knots. You can see it. We painted over it, but yeah, you can still kind of see it. Yeah. So you guys, check your knots, please. That's right. Check your knots. <laughs> That's exactly right. So that, those were two tragic things that, unfortunately, you know, right. you had to, well, you got the privilege, really, to participate in, and, and that we have to look at it that way that you helped, served, you know, right, in, yeah. in a rough time but let's uh 
say something. Can you tell us what what is what are some of your favorite moments from your oh, last three seasons here? Well, last two question. seasons here. Yeah, you know, I'd say. Oh man, oh that's a good question. I'd say any any time in the buo, either it's just drinking coffee or whatever, chatting with people from all over the world and different walks of life is always super cool. And that's probably my favorite thing in general. But then getting to climb with people, different people, get to meet different people and go climbing together. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what my favorite multi pitch experience. I don't know. There's a lot. But I, I yeah, man, just getting to meet different people and climb with different people is such a once again privilege, right? And it's mm-hmm. such an honor to be in a position where you can travel and you can do adventure sports and you can meet different people and oh it's just so so cool so much fun and i love the buo i love being in a place where the goal is to make people feel welcome and to have a good time and chat over a cup of coffee Co- coffee's the best conversation opener in the world we're both drinking coffee right now Jan yes, and, we I. Are. and it is so good it is i'm really happy that this bean worked well in the front for us so yeah it's good we um, have a new coffee by the way yeah we have a new bean that uh, our coffee guru andreas is roasting and uh, it works well in a French press, so that's good. Yes, it does. I can, I can, I can witness to that or testify. <laughs> yeah, test, test, testify. <laughs> I can testify to that. Preach it's it. Good stuff. I'm uh, shaking because I'm so. Oh, me too. But I, I gotta want more. <laughs> the French press is over there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I think I'm so thankful to be a part of the Buo and thankful to you, Jan, because you helped. You were there at the start of the Buo, and you've been a big part of it for the entire time and speaking of two seasons ago it was rough but i mean jan is a for those of you who don't know jan's a rock star and <laughs> is uh very impressive and uh is, is is awesome so yeah i'm thankful to to you and everyone who came before that the boo is something i get to be a part of so i know i think it's cool when i when i think back of the last uh 10 seasons 11 yeah. seasons really about the people that came before us you know yeah I mean, yeah. I was here, so not before us, but before us, like as we <laughs> yeah. are now, but like, well, uh, it's all, it's all a combined effort, right? And yeah. it builds on itself. And you know, the Buu has become something we never imagined. Right. Having, yeah. Would you imagine that we would be doing what we're doing? No. 10 years ago? No, we, we had no idea. I mean, our first season, I remember, um, very first like month of being open there were some climber american climbers that were here and they found out we were christians and they thought that we were going to beat everybody over the head with bibles when they walked right. in totally. and they were like bad mouthing the bull up in the canyon and some <laughs> atheist guys from iceland were like what the heck are you guys talking about like just go called them out like you guys don't even know these people yeah exactly it was so funny and but like even then we thought oh no are we gonna just be against opposition everywhere because we're christians you know and uh we found that to not be true yeah oh man it's you know empathy is a is a muscle that we all have to exercise and to to hang out with people that maybe disagree with or don't see eye to eye and that's one of the coolest things about being in the Buu is getting to meet people with totally different viewpoints and walks of life and getting to have good conversations. Yeah. Have you learned anything about either yourself or? Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I mean, you know, you move to a different country. And so obviously new culture, new language, and then learned a lot about rock climbing and, and rock climbing skills and rock climbing techniques. Um, and then getting to meet people from tons of different walks of life. Um, yeah, I mean, I think learned a lot about myself and 
other people and I love Mexico and getting to learn about culture and life here, which I mean, I'm still learning all the time. It's always a learning curve. You know, this is my third season and I still feel like I totally don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but that's okay. It's good to live outside the comfort zone, right? Yeah. Totally. Well, you know, it's not like they give you a book when you cross the border that says this is how they things don't. work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Life in Mexico 101. Yeah. They don't do that. I wish, but then it would always change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I would love a life in Mexico 101 book and it would be like, watch out for speed bumps would be the first thing they would talk about. And then, uh, probably some Mexican sayings would be number two quick words to say. Yeah. Okay. Cheeto. <laughs> That's my favorite Mexican word. And super Cheeto. Word. Yeah, super Sup- Cheeto. My favorite Spanish right there. Yeah, and that means Cheeto. cool, by the way. Yeah. It means cool. That's cool. And I say that a lot in English though. That's the thing is I'll say cool or awesome quite a bit and then. I just do the same thing. You can always count on Schaefer to give you a Cheeto or Super Cheeto. Oh, okay, Cheeto. Oh, Super Cheeto. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. I need to mix it up. I need to learn some new words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a staff member this year from Mexico City coming. We're excited to learn some new slang. Yeah. We'll get some Mexico City slang. Yeah, that's that'll be cool. I think they say que oso. They're like, but that means like how embarrassing or okay, oso. Oso. Like that's so embarrassing or that's like. Que padre is another one you hear here. Yes. Uh-huh. What a father. <laughs> yeah. What what father? Yeah. And Keoso is what bear. What bear? Oh yeah. Keoso. Cheeto yeah. though is C H I D O. It's I I don't think it's anything. Thankfully, that one was taught to me actually in the states. Really? I came down here. Yeah. A buddy of mine, I told him, he was like his family's from Mexico, and uh, he grew up in uh, L A. And his name is Andre, and super great guy. But he was like, he's I was super like, Can you teach me some slang. Yeah, he's super Cheeto. I was like, Can you teach me some slang before I go down? And he was like, yeah, man, uh, Cheeto or okay, Cheeto. And I remember thinking of the chip, like Cheetos. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like, think a lot of people yeah. do that. I was like, like the chips? Like, yeah. Have you ever made a really bad Spanish error? An embarrassing sp- Spanish error? I definitely. You know, I think my biggest mistake is I'll mispronounce words. And I, they don't have no idea what I'm talking about. My favorite, and this isn't really super embarrassing, but my favorite one is I was in line at uh, the, the meat store here. And I needed to buy... Um, Oh, what did I need to buy? Uh, cilantro. And I got there to the front of the line, and I was like, necesito cilantro. And the lady stared at me in confusion. And then I was like, I was like, tienes cilantro? Like, do you have cilantro? And she still stares at me. And then this older lady behind me kind of tapped me on the shoulder and then said, cilantro. <laughs> And then go the girl, the checkout girl went, oh, cilantro. And I was like, <laughs> oh, sorry, cilantro. And I was just saying it like an, with an American cilantro. accent. Cilantro. Cilantro. Can I have some cilantro? And she was like, oh, cilantro. But I've oftentimes found here the older, uh, older Mexican ladies here help me out. I think they look at me and they see like a helpless puppy and they're <laughs> like, this, this young guy needs some help. And so they, they're always really kind and lend me a helping hand i've found but thanks to the abuelitas yeah exactly Woo-hoo. yeah they're they're the bomb uh <laughs> get the super cheeto yeah yeah i didn't know if you Sinatra. had ever said something unintentionally uh a couple years ago we had an intern that learned from the street spanish like kanda way which is like uh what up what up, my nigga? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, like a, yeah, what up, dude? But kind of a, like, it's like more crass, well. yeah, like, yeah. like what I just said. Yeah, like, yeah. it's a little more edgy. And we went to church, and um, my uh, he was meeting a group of church people in a like a 
refined environment, environment right. and he just walks up and <laughs> says it killed away yeah, like that and, away. and they all just, just like staring. their eyes got so big and they kind of he, he just immediately looked at me he's like jen what did i say what and did I, I just do i couldn't stop laughing oh, i was I'm just sure. like did you really just say that that oh, was great sure. oh actually you know this is kind of funny yesterday even i was climbing with andreas who uh is from he's from mexico and so obviously he's fluent in spanish <laughs> and there are these two two kids behind it watching us climb and they were just they were just ragging on us in spanish so much so that i could understand what they were saying and andreas was like dude these two kids are talking so much trash so as we packed up to leave i turned to them and spoke to them in spanish and their eyes got super wide and they were like <gasps> and then i uh, andreas and i both just laughed and chuckled at them and then they laughed and it was funny and it was a good moment but it was funny because like they were you know they were calling both of us gringos which is interesting because andreas is not a gringo, but but you were speaking English. We're both speaking English to each other, and it, I mean, obviously, I I definitely look like a gringo. You are <laughs> <laughs> through and through. Uh, but yeah, so but it was funny, and it, it was kind of a cool moment though, because when we walked away, it was, it was a peaceful moment of like ah, uh, like oh, they they were like this gringo could speak Spanish. That's what they said in Spanish. And, Busted. And I was like ah, I like kind of stuck my tongue out, ah, like pointed at him, and then they laughed. So. It was good. Even sticking your tongue out is a Mexican way of laughing and joking. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I think, ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, the, what's up? <laughs> yeah, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're going to wrap this up because we're almost at an hour here. Okay. And uh, is there anything you want to say before we finish up? You know, I think we covered everything. Mm. I mean, Black Lives Matter and right. Afghanistan. Yeah, I think we covered immigrants. it all. I think we talked about everything. Yeah. I mean, I think this has been the most politically controversial podcast I've ever done. Well, no. Oh, there's Socialism. No there's no way. Socialism there's no and way Jesus. With. The most, <laughs> there's no way I'm the most controversial person you have on this podcast. Uh, anything to wrap up? Well, I'd say if you are um, Dan and Pachero, come by El Buo. We'd love to serve you a cup of coffee. Uh, and if you'd like to give, to the Buo because we take donations that go towards our uh, work here in the community, then you can give online. You can go to climbersforchrist.org slash give and you can click on El Buo and you can give through that. What a great plug, Schaefer. What a, I know. I just. Do you know I've never plug. ever plugged it like that? Like, I just did it. I, I feel bad a little bit because I don't know if I should plug it, but whatever. No, you should. Totally. Uh, last year, we had some climbers give uh, to help us out yeah. with our operating expenses. We have monthly donors yep. as well. And uh, we always take donations so that we can keep on doing our. Right. So hopefully the more we can cover the operational costs, the more we can just also give towards the community in old ways and in new ways. Yeah. Yes. New ways. New ways. Stay tuned. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I got to. Yeah, that's but yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, come come by El Buo and yeah. Yeah, we'll both be here. He's here more than me. I'll be around. Yeah, I'm not here. I'm close by. Yeah. Well, thank you so thank much you, for your this time. Was a lot of fun. You did great. Thanks. Whew. I was so nervous. No, <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, this was super fun. Jan, we need to do one where someone interviews you on the podcast. Well, we talked about that, and yeah. that'll come soon. Yeah, we gotta have the Jan episode. Schaefer will interview me. Oh, that'd be awesome. Oh my gosh. I would love it. I have. I'd be honored. I have way too many podcast, uh, too many years. I would probably to, like, plan questions out though. I would probably think like I know myself. I'd be like, okay, I gotta think of like twenty questions to ask. Yeah, I don't do that but hopefully i'm getting better hopefully you guys that are listening can tell that you're just a good conversation we're getting better at this stuff and um so 
you guys now season one episode one recorded yeah, season, two, season two episode, episode one, one recorded and uh the books will be released soon yeah and schaefer thank you so much it was a great time i had a great time bye thanks for listening to today's episode of tales from el Blue. hosted recorded and produced by me jam Millsaps. The theme song is El Jarabe Tapatio, performed by Mariachi Pulido. Please take the time to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and to recommend us to friends and family. If you're interested in supporting our efforts in Mexico, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram as El Buo Cafe. Links in the show notes. I look forward to sharing more stories with you here at Tales from El Buo.